Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Turn in your Bibles to the third letter of John. The third letter of John, or third John. It might be tagged differently depending on what Bible you have. But again, today we're closing out our series, The Story of What We Believe. And, and I, was, I was trying to think, as I was trying to think this week of, of, of how to wrap this series up, this is the passage that kept on coming to mind. Because in a unique way, it answers the one question that ought to still be ringing in our ears. So what? What are we meant to do with the story of what we believe? And I want to begin by reading this letter again because it answers this question in a unique way. But before we do, let me just tell you a little bit about it. It was written by one who calls himself the Elder to a man named Gaius, probably the leader of the church to which 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were sent together as a sort of collection, maybe even with one of the earliest copies of the Gospel of John. 1st John was a sermon on what it meant to follow the truth. 2nd John was a letter warning this church about those who might lead it away from the truth. And third John, an encouragement to one battle-scarred leader that, that he would continue to walk in the truth and work for the truth, that, that someday the truth itself might stand up as a witness on his behalf, that he was on the right side of history. Let's again by reading it. Third John, this is God's word. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that, that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the, the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk 
face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we come to this little letter that we would see through the heart of the one who wrote it, your heart for your people. And I pray we would come to know more than ever before the importance of walking in the truth. The importance of working for the truth. That we might ourselves have the truth itself. Stand one day as a witness on our behalf. In the name of Christ our King, I pray. Amen. Life is tough, isn't it? One of the ways this has been put recently was this. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward forward (laughs) these are the words of Rocky Balboa the Italian stallion one of Hollywood's most iconic characters and not only the poster boy for humanity's struggle for survival but as it turns out our unlikely spokesman who through his thick Philadelphia accent has put to words more than once the experience of each and every one of us. Life is tough. It ain't all sunshine and rainbows. And the point is that there will come a time when you just want to throw in the towel. When life begins to unravel and pull apart at the seams, and if you're going to keep fighting, you're going to have to have a reason You're going to need a reminder about what's important and what life is all about. You're going to need a pep talk. If you've ever watched one of these Rocky movies, Rocky's a boxer, and there's always that, that moment when Rocky's in the fight to which everything else has been leading, for which everything else is on the line. He, he's beaten and he's bloodied, and, and there's a chance that he's not going to make it. And, and at that moment, in the corner of the ring, his coach will get up in his face and remind him of what's most important. Give him a pep talk of what he's been through and where he's come from what he's been fighting for, and what his life is all about. And in a way, that's what this third letter of John is. A pep talk from one pastor to his protege who's caught in the fight where where his church is under attack and, and this guy's been beaten and bloodied and everything appears to be falling apart at the seams. And it's a reminder of why in the midst of that he shouldn't just throw in the towel. Because it's a reminder of what life, not not just some heavyweight title, what life is all about. That first, life is all about walking in the truth. That second, life is all about working for the truth. 
And third, that life is all about someday having the truth itself rise up and stand as a witness on your behalf that you were on the right side of history. And this is what I want to look at today as we ask the question, so what? What are we supposed to do with the story we've been given, with the story of which we are a part? First, in this pep talk, that life is all about walking in the truth. Life is all about living out this story of which we are a part. John opens his letter, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This word truth and the terms related to it appear more often in the writings of John than in all the rest of the New Testament combined. Because John has a a perennial concern for the truth. An objective reality that's not something we make up for ourselves, but is something outside of us that each of us must live in relationship to. Even if some of us want to deny its existence. John is concerned with the truth. And he begins this letter by expressing his bond with Gaius in truth. Which means that the companionship these two men shared across who knows what geographic or contextual divides wasn't over a common love for the Bears, who happened to win yesterday, or the Packers, who didn't win Friday. Their bond was a common love for and a love for one another in a truth that they had walked in. Because for them, that's what life was all about. Which, just as an aside, makes you wonder why so often our best relationships end up centered on affections for absolutely trivial things. And it's a good reminder that if we want relationships that will last when life hits the fan, they'd better be centered on more than just the latest cultural whim. Relationships that last must be formed around something bigger than ourselves. Something outside of us that conforms to the very fabric of this world we live in. Because it conforms to the very nature of the one who made it. The story. Because it's God's story. When life is is heating up, John writes to tell Gaius that, that it's okay Because the the present pain is not what matters. Life is all about the truth and continuing to walk in it. Allowing the truth to, to dictate what we do and how we do it. And not going off on our own to try to make it what we want. Even if everything around us seems to be falling apart at the seams. So John writes in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all might go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And John's pretty confident at this point that things have gone well with this guy's soul because the truth has become his truth. That's what he says in verse 2. As indeed, he says in verse 3, you are walking in it. So John prays that that as it has gone well with Gaius' soul, his life, it might likewise go well with everything else, and in particular with his physical health. 
Now, this is not the central part of this letter, but I just want to pause here for a moment and just point out at least two things that are worth drawing attention to. First, our prayers for physical health and physical healing ought to be conditioned on someone's spiritual health. Now, listen to me, because I'm not saying that health is conditioned on someone's spiritual health. There are connections there. The Bible talks about that. But that's not a one-to-one correlation. What I am saying, though, is that our prayers for health on behalf of others ought to be conditional, conditioned on their spiritual health. And here's why. Because if it's not going well with your soul, the prayer is not that God heals you in this temporary moment but that he uses the pain and the suffering of life to draw you back to himself. And if there is a miracle and he decides to heal you for some other reason, that that would draw you to him as well. So first, our prayers for physical health on behalf of others ought to be conditioned, at least more often than they are. But second, let me just say that notice that our prayers for physical health ought to be particularly for those caught in the fight. Because remember, this is is a guy who's, who's caught in the thick of it. Gaius was in the mess of life. Church life, actually. He's under attack. His church is splitting apart. Some of us have been there, right? Some of us have been in those situations, even the one under attack. But here's John praying that his health wouldn't fail him. Why? Well, I think first, on that base level, it's because Gaius has kept the main thing the main thing, and he's not about to be distracted by a peripheral important thing from the centrally important thing. Things have gone well with his soul. But beyond that, it's because John is catching Gaius in the corner and sees that he's bloodied and beaten and knows that there's more to come. The fight ain't over. And like any good coach, he's patching him up and he's praying that God would take part in that. But not so that Gaius could go on a holiday. Not so that Gaius could just enjoy health but so that Gaius can get back in the ring and take another knock to the chin. Is that just not interesting? That's the prayer. This is the the prayer in the Bible that the entire prosperity gospel is founded upon. This is their verse. Look, John prays for health, never recognizing that the prayer for health is that God would extend this guy's life so he could get beat up more. That's a different gospel. Because it's in our health or in our ailment, either way, that we point to say that we're living for something more. And some of us do that better through ailment. I'm thinking of Lynn Ozaki. I don't see Lynn today. Lynn. I'm thinking of Lynn. And the testimony 
that she has been, even to my own heart, in the short time that I've known her, that through her ailment, she continues to point to something better. And I'm thinking of others who have been utterly beat up in life, who have, who have experienced the physical health and yet have done so just to go back into the ring. It's a fascinating piece of this Bible that everything points to something more. I imagine there were moments Gaius would have been praying for something very different. That he would have been praying that to die is gain. Don't give me health. Just take me now. But John prays that he would be healthy so he can get back in the ring and endure more. Take one more opportunity to prove that he's living for something else. Take one more opportunity to prove that he's walking in the truth. Reminds me of the story of John Patton. Patton was a missionary. I've mentioned him before uh, in the 1800s to the islands of the South Pacific. When he left home and was headed ultimately for the mission field, he tells the story of his father walking along with him the first six miles or so of his journey. And when they got to the end where they were about to part company, his father grabbed his hand and, and stood, bowed his head in, in silence and, and prayed for him like he had prayed so often before, only to say at the end, to leave him with these final words, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you. The question is, what was he praying for? Because your, your father's God prosper you. Because Patton would bury an infant and a wife within six months of landing on those islands. From another wife, he would bury another four. But after many years of service among a group of cannibals under what he described as constant threat and deprivation, he would see eventually that entire island come to Christ. And I think his father's prayers were answered in the affirmative. This is what prosperity looks like. This is what health is for. Patton, in his later years, I, I think I've told this story as well, in his later years, uh, wrote of a, a dear old Christian, Mr. Dixon, who was among the many who sought to deter him from his call to the field. And, and Mr. Dixon's crowning argument was always, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. To which Patton replied as this young man convicted of where he was going, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. Why? Because life is about walking in the truth. What does it matter what you go through for a moment? Cancer or chronic illness or cannibals if you are living out a story that will someday have a better ending. 
John says, I have no greater joy, no, no greater delight, no higher pleasure than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Life is all about walking in the truth. It's about living out the story of which we are a part. And second, it's about working for the truth. It's about taking that story and spreading it far and wide and about partnering with others who are doing the same. John continues in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well, he says, to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Send them. If, if, if they come back or others like them come your way, send them fully equipped and fully encouraged, fully supported and fully supplied. Because this is how God sent us. That's what it means when it says in a manner worthy of God, in a manner like God. It's not that the, the, the weight should fall on, on one person or even on one church all at one time, but But those who have given themselves to the spread of this story, both inside and outside the church, are to be sent with the commissioning and commitment of the churches they come into. That they may then go out for the spread of the truth. This is why here at KBC, one of the matrices that we use to determine who we support as missionaries is is sort of invest in the church, and if all else is in place, we'll invest in you. That's why we've done that with the Karises, why we did that with the Lustons, why we're doing that with Jeff and Sarah, why we're doing that with Tim. And what John is saying is that this ought to be the very heart of all we do as a church. And we ought to structure ministry around the support of those who go out from us, whether north to Canada or to North Grove Elementary School. As long as they go out for the sake of the spread of the truth. It means as a body that we ought to be giving up a certain measure of the comforts of life, not to make some, some preacher rich, but to see that, that those who faithfully give themselves to the faithful preaching and teaching and proclamation of the gospel can do so without worry of where their next meal will come from. You know, it's, even, it's not even really about them. It's about life. Because walking in the truth is about our concrete and costly participation in the spread of that truth. It's about working for the truth. Partnering. John says, send them in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They haven't gone out for the sake of of their name, but for the sake of the name. And did it without the help of the nations that they're trying to reach. Often the nations that that are set against them. Because you know, it's hard to it, it, it's hard to share this story with a world that you're collecting food stamps from. It's hard to share the story with a neighbor if you're constantly looking for a handout. God can use that too. 
but it's difficult if you're sharing a story about a gracious God and your family that you're attached to is not worried about what you're doing in life, how you're doing. Which is why this is like priority number one for us. It's why we have a benevolence fund. It's why we think these things through. It's why we're constantly asking, how's everybody doing? And when we hear that somebody's not doing well, we don't just leave that on the table. Because we're partnering in the gospel. John says, send them in a manner worthy of God. Because God's mission to reach God's world with God's gospel goes forward when God's people partner together to accomplish God's purposes. Did you get that? God's mission to reach God's world with God's gospel goes forward when God's people partner together to accomplish God's purposes. We take care of our own so we can take care of the business we've been given. Because they've gone out for the sake of the name. So, so John says in verse 8, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Patton, that missionary to the South Pacific, at the end of his biography, closed with these words. Some of the most powerful, I think, I've read outside of Scripture. He said, as I lay down my pen, let me record my immovable conviction that his is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar to Christ that he might use it as before. God gave his best his son to me, and I give back my best, my all, to him. Because this is what life is all about. John grabs hold of our, our faces in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hardship. He grabs hold of our faces in this letter to tell us that life is all about walking in the truth, living out the story. And that walking in the truth must eventually find expression in working for the truth, spreading the story. And thirdly, he says in this pep talk that, that as we, we walk in and work for the truth, it is the truth that will eventually work for us. That it will stand someday as a witness on our behalf. John's going to set up a distinction between what he, he, he labels good and evil. And he starts with an example of the latter. He says in verse 9, I have written something to the church, probably the letter, to, to the, the letter that we call 2 John. But there's another man in the church, Iotrephes, who likes to put himself first. And he doesn't acknowledge John's authority and thereby doesn't acknowledge Christ's authority. Because that's the one John's working for. But this man, John says at the end of verse 10, not content with that, refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is evil. This is evil. A man who has gone his own way and instead of partnering with those who have gone out for the sake of the name, only lifts high his own name. Because he loves to put himself first. 
And instead of walking in the truth, he's made up his own truth. This is evil. But there's another, John says, Demetrius, who's received a good testimony from everyone. Not only from those like us trying to to wade through the confusion of of good and evil, but, but received his testimony from the truth itself, his witness. And John says, do not imitate evil. Imitate that. Walk in the truth and work for the truth so that at the end, the truth itself will stand up like it has for Demetrius and bear witness on your behalf. To say that you were on the right side of history when you followed Christ. They've got a phrase in boxing when a fight goes the distance. And the judges are left to decide which fighter or which one didn't win. It's called going to the cards. And John's saying in this last pep talk that for everyone who will go the distance, the fight will eventually go to the cards. But rather than be decided by who draws the most blood, Or who comes out the other side less beaten than their opponent? In this fight, it's the truth itself that will sit in the judge's seat. That will rise up and testify on our behalf. Because victory in this fight is not about whether you experience or escape pain. It's about whether in the pain you have walked in and worked for the truth and whether or not the truth stands as a witness on your behalf. But some of you, I hope as we turn, all of us, should be asking a very important question. What is truth? It's a question that John actually addresses in his Gospel when it's posed by a man named Pilate. Because if this is what life is all about, I almost want to throw in the towel. Who can walk in the truth? Who can spend their life working for the truth? Who can do that? Who would dare say that at the end of time, truth itself will stand and bear witness on their behalf? except for the fact that for John, the truth is not some some external, some objective standard that we have to measure up to, but a Savior. And the story about how He measured up on our behalf. Listen to how the Gospel changes the message of this little book. The truth of the gospel that we walk in is not that you and I live up to or live out some standard outside of us, but that we live under the one who did it for us. We work for the truth, not by saving the world by ourselves, but by sharing with it the one who saved us. 
and we partner with those who are doing the same. And the truth of the gospel that stands as a, as a witness on our behalf is not some standard we are hopeless to fulfill, but the person of Jesus Christ who has met that standard for us and says of all those who have placed their faith in Him, victory is mine. And so are they. It's interesting that these last few um, Rocky movies haven't been about winning anymore. If you've trekked with, what are we on, number 28 now? <laughs> They're not about winning anymore. It's like someone has finally figured out that Rocky can't just go on fighting. But like each of us, there's a battle that we can't ultimately win for ourselves. It's no longer about what Rocky can do. For the first five or a half dozen or so, every movie led up to that, that David and Goliath moment. But in these last few movies, it's, it's as if the battle is about something completely different. By the end of the movie, you're no longer lately. You're no longer as an audience looking for the win. You're merely looking for the fighter to stand in the legacy of the one who went before him. In the, the last one that's come out, this last Rocky movie, you see the son of a former champion, Apollo Creed, fighting for a title that he has no right to, except that his father fought for it before him. He has no chance of winning, but that's not really the point anymore anyway. It's about the chance to prove that he is his father's son. And in the same way, this is the heart of 3 John. It's not about doing the impossible ourselves, but living under the unimaginable in what Christ has done on our behalf. It's about living under the story, living out the story, and then spreading the story far and wide. Let me pray. Father, as the questions posed whether we will walk in the truth, my prayer is that we would live under Christ. As the question is posed that whether we will work for the truth. I pray that the, the work we do will be offering him and him alone to this lost and dying world. And wondering whether it will someday, the truth, stand and as a witness to our conformity to it, of whether we have bent the knee, submitted ourselves to it. God, I cannot be more thankful that the testimony of the truth is ours by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. I pray our story would never be anything else. Amen.
Let's all stand together and close our service singing this song. In the beginning, there at the dawn of time, woman and man, God's perfect plan in the garden, tempted with sin, doubting within, death and despair entered in, and there they fell.
Let me just close by um, reading how we've tried to capture the so what of this story. It's in that short version um, on, printed in your bulletins. After talking about God speaking creation into existence and speaking again in the sending of His Son, it says this, Now God continues to speak through those like us who put their faith in God's faithful Son and live out their faith in faithfulness to Him. Together, we're inviting this world back to the One who made it by telling and retelling His story again. And the story is both for today and for forever as we look forward to the day Jesus will return and bring it to completion. Through Jesus, the story of God's faithfulness has become the story of our faith both as individuals and as a community of believers. In it, we've found our identity. Through it, we understand our world. And by it, we seek to live. May it be so. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.